0: you ready? Sure.
1: <laughs> All right, cool.
0: Welcome, everybody, to Fiercely Altered Perspective. I'm Ember, my husband Quinn. What's happening?
2: Also known as the Fat Pod. Why? Because huh. we're hard to beat. <laughs> <laughs> love it so we do have one special request that was asked by our podcast internet daughter i guess
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: um roll tide
0: <laughs> you did not say that with the enthusiasm i'm sure she expected
2: i i know and i'm sure that there's a whole bunch of other people out there so uh roll tide
0: <laughs> yeah sure football Woo. <laughs> We love you, Abby. Sorry about your hand.
2: Yes, that's that's not so much fun.
0: No, it is not. It is not. No. Well, today we're going to be going over the first case that ever got me into true crime. So we're going to be going over the Sharice Iverson case. Or if you look it up on Google, you can find it easier by typing in Jeremy Strohmeyer, which is the man who raped and murdered Sharice Iverson in a casino bathroom in Nevada in 1996 seven Mm -hmm. and she was seven
2: seven years old Mm -hmm. yeah
0: and i remember it because i watched it on the news both the victim and the perpetrators are from california in different areas it happened in nevada and i grew up in oregon during the time so because it was coastal stuff i don't know if we got it more or what the case is but i remember it being on the news a lot and i was her same age and after that i actually got super freaked out and if i went into the bathroom i had a look in every single stall if they were not um being used i still had to look like i had to see who all was in the bathroom with me at all times sure <laughs> and you'll find out why throughout this story but it kind of it's it's not the it's not like the erica green case was for us but it is still involving the death of a child
2: right it's pretty heavy so it's pretty heavy so with that said um trigger warning. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. This involves heinous acts towards a child. This involves rape. This involves murder, again, of a child. Mm -hmm. If you don't have it in you to move forward, please, please heed warning and stop now. With that said, we're going to move forward.
0: Yes, we are. But before we jump into today's case, I do want to tell you guys that you should be sure to go over to studio and... Yeah. Get yourself some headphones. Yeah. I have the (laughs) Yeah, Fancy. Fancy. And I have been loving it because I did this thing where our cousin is leaving soon and she wanted a workout partner and I agreed, but I'm getting my ass kicked. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. But. (laughs) Right. She's been gone to California enjoying her vacation Super jealous. And in the meantime, I've been working out and I've had these little headphones in and I don't hear anything else and they haven't fallen out of my head. And it gets me through my workout a lot easier because you just all you hear is the music. So that's all you can focus on. And it's so nice. Right. And I love it. And mine are in the, the fancy rose gold. They're pink. They're pink. So they're cool as shit.
1: No, I'm just saying. <laughs> no, they are.
0: So be sure to go over to Studio and pick out your favorite kind of headphones you would like to try. And be sure to enter in FatPod15 to get you 15% off.
2: Yes, 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 yes. So also before we get into this case, I've got to talk to you guys about something that we've got ourselves involved with, and it's going to be one hell of a neat adventure. We have teamed up with a collaboration. Shall you say? Yes. And uh, we're being sneaky about it. But if you find yourself wanting more podcasts that are like what we are like, go check out murder.ly. So, murderly. Mm-hmm. Is it at .com? No? Just .ly. All right. So, murder.ly, murderly. And you are going to be able to find some other podcasts that are similar to us. hmm There's and, some great
0: podcasts on there.
2: Right. Right. It's good business. You're gonna like it.
0: Because right now our podcast is kind of like a... It's in its adolescence. We're going through some changes.
1: (laughs) That's correct. (coughs) We're...
2: We're trying to become grown adults and... (laughs) And our voice is (laughs) cracking. I've got like three hairs on my
1: chin.
0: (laughs) So if you go and check out murder.ly, you might be able to see a sneak peek into what will be happening. Some of you may have or may not have already noticed a couple of things. Either either way, all will be revealed by next week.
1: Yes.
0: We are very excited about that.
2: Yes. Also, one last thing before we get into it. Check us out on all the socials.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, be sure to do that. Yep, Netflix. Netflix.
2: Yes, check us out on Netflix, Hulu, <laughs> all all the cool places. I was looking. Up oh at wait, the, just kidding. I
0: was looking up at the the condom that says next Netflix and kill. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Don't don't look for us on Netflix. You're not gonna find us there. Yeah,
0: I mean we're not that cool. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Faceballs and
1: Faceballs. Uh, <laughs>
2: <laughs> i love it and those are all at the fap pod yes and also on Facebook's you can check us out at the fap lounge and that's where we have interactions and and talk about all kinds of different things and find out other people's perspectives and it's a uh, good time yeah it's it's pretty large so check that out but Shall we move on to the story? Indubitably. Wondrous, wondrous. Yes, yes. So, Sharice Iverson was a seven-year-old little girl that was followed into a restroom at the Prim Valley Resort Casino in Prim, Nevada on May 24th, 1997. Prim is right on the border between Nevada and California, and Sharice was murdered by 18-year-old Jeremy Strohmeyer while his friend David Cash Jr. watched and waited.
0: Oh, my God. I hate that. I hate David Cash. And you will all be able to feel this on a very profound level by the time we're done with this.
2: You want to talk about a spineless little fuckface?
0: face? Oh, fuck that kid. Uh, right in his mouth hole. I hope, and <laughs> he's not a kid now. I hope he chokes. I don't care.
2: You know, looking at the dates and this, that, and the other, um, that puts him and I in about the same age.
0: Uh-huh.
2: And, uh, <laughs> I'd give my left one to find him in a dark alley.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, last I found out is David Cash Jr. is the head over some big big fancy to do firm or some business in the way of uh, nuclear engineering in California. He's like a big wig. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What a piece of shit. Yep. But for right now, most of this story, we will get into David for sure, but most of it will be centered focally around Jeremy Strohmeyer and Cherise Iverson. Correct. So, we do know a fair amount about Jeremy Strohmeyer Strohmeyer, from an article called The Fractured Life of Jeremy Strohmeyer written by the LA Times in 1998. So, with using this and countless other articles, we also watched a few docos like the 60 Minutes on David Cash Jr. called The Bad Samaritan, which we will reference numerous times throughout the podcast along with The Fractured Life of Jeremy Strohmeyer. Right. We also have links to all of these that can be found in our show notes if anybody wants to go and watch anything
2: right so i just have one question Hmm. were he a twin
0: he were not a twin this time (laughs) (laughs) i hope you step on a lego later Fair enough. Fair Just enough. Kidding.
2: So while checking this out and getting into it and diving down this rabbit hole, we actually found out that Jeremy Strohmeyer was uh, pretty much your regular, plain Jane, average kid. Um, but that's not to say that there weren't some alarming pieces of information that that came along with this time. You know, mm-hmm. I mean,
0: yeah, I mean it's it sucks because in a lot of ways, Jeremy was actually quite blessed in his life. Um, I don't think that there's ever a ton of people that are quote unquote average. But he, we will find out. He went from having a ton of potential to obviously being put into jail for the rest of his life.
2: Right. So right.
0: Let's figure out why.
2: Too bad he pled guilty. Mm-hmm. Cause he would have got full blown old Sparky.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we'll get into that later too. Cause <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was definitely.
2: Oh, that was that was on the table. Mm-hmm. That was for sure on the table.
0: And while both. The uh, While Jeremy was from California, yeah. he committed his crime in Nevada.
2: Uh-huh.
1: So he was
0: charged through Nevada. And Nevada was very much death penalty.
2: Oh, yeah. hmm Oh, yeah. All right. Well, Jeremy Strohmeyer was born on October 11th, 1978. So, oh, weird. He'll be turning 40 this year.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Oh, God.
2: But he was born as Gerald Paul.
0: Yes, he was.
2: Gerald Paul. That's kind of like one of our other friends that has three first names
0: yes he does <laughs> kgm what's yep. up
2: well let's crack a lacking homie <laughs> gerald paul was born to a father who was in prison for drug related crimes and a mother who was a drug user and a schizophrenic his mother was reported to have been in the hospital 70 mm, ish times mm-hmm. before she gave birth so when her son was born she put him up for closed adoption anyone adopting quote gerald paul would not know any of the history of either of the parents. This is something that comes up later in the trial. However, his foster parents were a cute older couple who called the boy Jerbear. The couple wanted to adopt him, but the agency found them to be too old to adopt. What a fucking crock of shit.
0: I have a hard time with that. If you have somebody that wants to adopt a child and if they're good enough to be a foster parent, uh-huh. why can't they? That just seems like bullshit to me.
2: It, it is bullshit and in just speaking broadly here. Right. Most people most older couples are more financially well to do. Mhm. And I'm not saying that they're well off or that they have endless pockets or anything like that, but they're more financially stable. They're mm-hmm. more they're more, sorry, responsible
0: <laughs> well, yeah. than,
2: than your average 20s, early 30s, mid-30s. Hell, I just turned 40 this year and I'm not responsible at all.
0: <laughs> I'm semi-responsible. I'm getting there. It's fine. I'm, I'm,
2: I'm getting there. You will. Yeah, you know. and
0: <sighs> And then once you're finally responsible enough, that's when you die. So you can't be responsible for a long time.
2: That or... <laughs> depends
0: yeah either way so then you die um
2: if i ever get to the point where i'm shitting my pants again smother me
0: i will i promise
2: <laughs> like just no
0: i'll make your smothering be fun at least for you okay i'll take you out in a nice way but whatever <laughs> <coughs> I'll be- never mind
2: <laughs> spit it out it's not yours <laughs>
0: I was just going to say, I'll just turn you into a gas station. I'll make you come and go.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Fuck yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) We're about to talk about things that are uncomfortable. I need to have a moment and have some fun.
2: (laughs) Wait, do you mean like the spurt and split or the ejaculate and evacuate (laughs) or the jizz and jam?
1: Ooh, yep.
2: Oh, Oh,
0: all of those.
1: All the of old those. come and go. Uh-huh.
2: Mm. I will say this being that I stop at come and goes on a fairly regular basis, man, they have some good hot dogs on their grill. Do they? Mhm. Oh, and it's goodness. odd. What are you eating? <laughs> a come and go hot dog. Yeah.
0: Yeah, what's up? Ooh, fuck yeah. Get all up in there.
2: Put your grilled wiener in my mouth. <laughs> I mean, oh god. <laughs>
0: Would you like grilled, spicy, or (laughs) homestyle? Mmm,
2: pun buster, please.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh, we're getting so off topic. I love it.
1: So...
2: So yes again, please excuse our inappropriateness if that's even a word. I don't oh. even give a fuck. But uh please excuse our inappropriate behavior because this is not this is not a laughing matter, no. but you've gotta find humor in the dark because if you don't, the dark will consume you and you'll just become bitter and you'll hate all of humanity and Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you'll be us. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Jesus. Just kidding. I'm teasing. We don't hate everybody. I mean, I mean,
2: there's like five people. I don't, maybe six.
0: (laughs) I mean, the circle needs to be small. Just kidding. We actually love people probably too much.
2: Absolutely. Oh, and hey, by the way, yes, we have our recording assistant Scooby in here again. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, you're going to hear him.
0: I'm sure we have another recording assistant too, but he's little and taking a nap. Yes. But back to the story. Mm -hmm. So, the couple who would end up adopting Gerald Paul would be John and Winnie Strohmeyer, who lived in Long Beach, California. The two had always planned on having one child and adopting another. They gave birth to a daughter named Heather around 1976. In 1980, they had received an offer for adoption of a cute 18-month-old blue-eyed boy. When they adopted Gerald, they renamed him Jeremy Joseph so he could still go by Jerbear. bear and they ended up visiting the foster parents every Thanksgiving. And Jeremy was four-ish when the parents told him that he was adopted. And, you know, they did it all in a very loving way, explaining how he gets to have all these extra parents and, you know. Sure. Whatever, he he was okay with it. It wasn't like it was a big secret and then it came out
2: later. Sure, okay. Well, he was a great kid and his parents were quite wealthy. His mom worked for a computer company and his father worked in real estate. They both brought in over six figures and led a lavish lifestyle. Jeremy was a teen who had his own maid and an airplane. Yep. Not to mention, he had built two of his own computers and had four cars, including two BMWs in a 1980s Jaguar.
0: So, definitely the Elliot Rogers of the 90s.
2: Who the hell is Elliot
0: Rogers? Oh my god, Elliot Rogers, the guy that used to make all the videos is like, I'm so beautiful. I don't know why people won't be with me. And he lost his mind and killed a bunch of people.
1: Uh, oh? Oh. Uh, yeah. Oh. Uh,
2: yeah. Uh. yeah. Uh. Don't worry. Please forgive me. I've been awake for 18 hours and put on like 650 miles today. So,
0: Yeah, you the second I show it to you You'll be like, oh, that guy. That guy's an asshole. You'll, I'm re- with it. You'll remember him the second you see it. It's, I'm with it. it's sleepy time. Yeah, we're, we're getting there. Yeah,
2: but uh, he did have one dream, and that was to join the air force and fly his own planes one day.
1: Mm. Okay.
0: Well, that was a good. That was a good dream.
2: Yep. Yeah, too bad you're a fucking gut pile sack of shit, and you fucked that one up there, buckwheat. Yep.
0: Pretty much. Uh, so Jeremy was also an honor roll student and went to Wilson High and kept a GPA about 3.5. And he was known to be a really good kid. He was sensitive, kind, and funny. And he was also known as known as kind, known kind of
2: a dork. Oh, he's a known as, huh? Oh, jigali don't you know known as, huh?
0: Yeah, for sure. Sorry, Canadian people. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why it came out that way.
2: Our neighbors to the north, you know, they're in Kanuckistan. <laughs>
0: stand <laughs> <laughs> fat I <player> understand <laughs> I love it <laughs> Okay. So Jeremy was a little bit of a dork and he spent a lot of his time on computers. And what's funny is now that is what they used to consider somebody being a dork is being on computers and we're on one all day, every day.
2: Oh, hey, we are actually on two. Right now. At this moment. Mm -hmm. But technically we're on four because we both have our smartphones. And I've heard this said on a few different (laughs) iPod or not iPods. Jesus. Podcasts lately. And it makes me laugh. Say. For, well, there's those of us with iPhone, Yeah, those of us with iPhones, and then, well, others actually have smartphones. Mm-hmm. Oh.
1: Burn. <laughs> Burn. <laughs>
2: Go, droid.
0: <laughs> Either way. <laughs> we don't need to have an iPhone-Android battle. Uh, well, I mean, what's your perspective? Because we already won it, I so know, it's fine. <laughs> I know, but I mean,
2: what's your perspective for being wrong if you have an iPhone?
0: Oh my gosh, we're so hateful. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> However, back to the story. People always figured that Jeremy was going to grow up and become a lawyer, a doctor, an astronaut or a politician, but never a murderer. Right. And he looked up to a guy by the last name of Crutch and he taught a career guidance course and he also coached the volleyball team. And Jeremy played volleyball. And he was always the first to show up and the last to leave and super super helpful with everybody with anything like that was Jeremy. And throughout Jeremy's life trials that were going to be going over today and all the things that come up. Crutch was always there trying to guide him in the right direction, trying to be that sounding voice of reason sure yeah no
2: okay well there was a small time in jeremy's life where the family moved to singapore for winnie's job it would be after they returned back to the states in 1996 that they noticed a change in jeremy however some sources said that they thought he was a little off even before then but uh he used singapore as a reason for why he had became what he became but many remember back in 1995 during the oj trial jeremy was violent he would get so upset and Go on tangents that people would get uncomfortable and kind of standoffish from him.
0: Sometimes I hate it when people go on tangents, even though I'm pot calling the kettle black right now. No, no
2: right, right. Well, he was the the nice nerdy kid with the really odd mean streak. Yeah, and uh, that's the common thought of a lot of people, a lot of his classmates, a lot of his neighbors, a lot of just people in general, is that he was a nice kid, but woo. Ooh, bit of a weirdo
0: these things are probably stuff that came out uh after the fact
2: mm-hmm.
0: and so again anytime after a new story breaks of course everybody will have
2: oh of course
0: something to stay
2: oh of course
0: so, when the Strohmeyers lived in Singapore, that's when Jeremy began to smoke and drink, often bragging to his friends back in the States about the things young girls would do for a pack of smokes. Interesting. Hmm. His mom was an executive for Western Digital, which is a high-tech firm, I guess. Mm-hmm. And while in Singapore, she would be gone for up to 10 days at a time, and when she was home, she was working incredibly long shifts. So, she was there, but she wasn't. Right and John had left his job in real estate to become a stay-at-home dad and he tried his best. Jeremy had a curfew of 11 p.m. but it was always kind of hard to stick to that is what everybody said and his grades began to fail and either he wasn't showing up to class or when he was when he did he was under the influence of something weed, booze, meth, who knows. Sure. With that they had had enough and Jeremy was not allowed to enroll in the American school in singapore and john actually didn't believe the school when they came with the accusations of his son doing drugs but they didn't really care what john had to say they said your son's not coming back to school so deal with it and with that they moved back to long beach california
2: oh okay well in the states things didn't get any better for jeremy arrested for dui losing his license and completely abandoning his military academy dreams um well he's now on on meth and drinking heavily, destroying places he went to party and uh, one time tossed a kitten out of a car window after he stole it from a house that he was partying at.
0: Yeah, real nice guy.
2: Uh Uh-huh. Most of his free time was spent in his room on a computer watching porn of adult men having sex with young children. Good.
0: Yes. Excellent.
2: Right. Or violent, degrading porn. Hmm. And he grew more and more hostile even with his girlfriend there is a lot he said she said whatever going on with this whole relationship
0: oh yeah it's a nightmare
2: right but simply put they were very bad for each other he viewed her as evil and is the one who destroyed his life she views him as a smothering violent and weird person despite the weird, off again on again relationship one time when he walked in on them having sex and that was in 1997
0: yeah so he was 17 catching this weird girlfriend in the bed and mom was not happy so after that when he told Jeremy that Agnes couldn't come over anymore and the only reason why we even mentioned that they had sex is because of what happens with that information he was already spinning out of control but with this news from his mom he lost it even though Agnes and Jeremy weren't really seeing each other at the time uh, it didn't matter and in his eyes. It was a huge offense. So he moved out of his parents' house and in with a friend named Jeremy Phillips who had graduated the year before. And Jeremy was still doing drugs, watching kitty porn, and letting his grades slip to a 2.1. He was also spending more time around a kid named David Cash Jr. And he was a friend that they had made in school. Jeremy was, or not Jeremy, Cash was known as an arrogant nerd who was going into nuclear engineering as we already know. And he did. Fuck that guy. Right. And David looked up to Jeremy so they became fast friends. And like we said earlier, you will hate this guy. Especially if you don't like people or cases like the Casey Anthony case or the Jody Arias or the Scott Peterson. How the people conducted themselves throughout the whole situation. If you hated those three people, just put David in your list because you will fucking hate him. He. He got the nickname the bad Samaritan for a very good reason. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Go ahead.
2: The three boys, Jeremy, David, and Jeremy Phillips, uh, lived crazy lives, man. They they were the trio of destruction. 17 and 18 year old guys living alone in 1997 in Long Beach. It's not too hard to believe that uh, they'd run around and smash eggs in a prostitute's faces. Uh, They'd shoot homeless people with BB guns. Jeremy also liked to do a game called horror dragging. Mm. Mhm, nice, meaning he would grab onto a prostitute's arm and then drive off, making her run and be dragged for a minute before they'd let her go. That's always nice. Uh-huh. His coach was trying to talk sense into Jeremy and eventually the fun wore off and uh, Jeremy returned to his parents' house. Jeremy Phillips moved up the coast to Oregon and David and Jeremy worked on finishing high school. David was planning on attending Berkeley for nuclear engineering. So the two would drive up on the weekends to check out the college and do whatever else they were gonna do. They pierced their tongues, and Jeremy also pierced his nipples. Uh, one, uh you know, just being, just being kids. I was. Well, this is nineteen
1: ninety
2: seven. Mm hmm. Yep. That's I pierced both my ears and pierced my tongue and pierced a few other things. And
1: <laughs> yep, it happens. I mean,
2: that was that was that was the cool thing to do, man. Like,
0: right. Woo!
1: Yay!
2: Well, on one of these trips to Berkeley, David crashed his mom's car. For some reason, while the car was being fixed, David stayed at the Strohmeyer home for about three weeks. As a thank you, David's father offered to take Jeremy and David to Las Vegas on Memorial Weekend.
0: Yes, which just seems like a very odd... I don't know, you crashed your mom's car, but we'll still take you to go and play. I don't know. Maybe I'm just a bad mom. (laughs) Yeah. I know that it was more of a thank you to the other parents. Like, hey, we'll take your kid, but whatever. So one week before this trip to Vegas, Jeremy agreed to see a therapist because he was so out of control and his parents were trying to tell him, like, you need to do something. This is not okay.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And he was diagnosed with ADD and given dexedrine. Okay. And later it is found out that this therapist wasn't even a licensed therapist. So that calls into question if Jeremy ever had ADD or if he was given the right medications. We'll get into that a little bit more later, but Jeremy's relationship with Agnes continued to deteriorate despite his persistence. He was always randomly calling her or writing her weird letters Mm -hmm. or showing up to make sure that she was really at her house.
1: Sure, Just
0: being weird. And so she grew more and more distant, and finally cutting it off completely was just something that Jeremy was struggling with. And later police would find that two days before this trip to Vegas, Jeremy was on his computer with the username of Flyboy1030 talking with someone claiming to be an 18-year-old male name. It comes out to be Little Lover but it's L-I-T-L-L-U-V-R. Okay. And the top... Oh, are to- gonna
2: pick up kitty motor big time on this one. Yeah? <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh-huh. That's all right. The topic that they were discussing was sex with small... T- or with young children. It went as follows. Do you like girls? Little Lover asked. Very much so. Flyboy1030 answered. Cool. How long... How young do you like them? And then Flyboy answered with, I've never had a chance to try anything, but I fantasize all the time. I don't know, probably about five or six. This is where we're going to put a a small pause on Jeremy and David. We just know that they are 18 year old teens. They're still in their senior year of high school now and they like to destroy things and Jeremy has this big secret of wanting to have sex with a kid. Mm -hmm. So with that, we can say fuck off to those people and we can actually talk about the most important person, which is Sharice. Right. And unfortunately, there isn't a ton of information on her, mostly given her age.
2: Charisse Marche Renee Iverson was born on October second, nineteen
0: eighty nine. October second?
2: October twentieth. <laughs> <laughs> only only eighteen days later she was born. No big deal. Yeah, well,
0: I had to point that out. That moment never happens for yeah. me. Whoops. Whoopsie.
2: So, yeah, anyway, on October 20th, 1989, Cherise Iverson was born. Uh, Two parents with a 30 year age difference.
0: Yeah, and it's kind of gross, too. Oh? Yeah, because just given the fact of when they got together. Hmm. Yes. Okay.
2: Well, her mother, Yolanda, got with her father, Leroy. well Well,
0: sorry like (laughs) sharice's father oh sorry and the the way i see how you say that now and it makes it sound even worse
2: (laughs) (laughs) he were her father
0: (laughs) no (laughs) (laughs) Mm -mm, mm -mm.
2: okay let's try this again her mother yolanda got with Sharice's father, Leroy, when he was 45 and she was 15. And they lived in Los Angeles. He was a single father of a young son, Harold, whose mother had died. And when he got Yolanda pregnant, Yolanda dropped out of school to become a mother. Over time, the couple grew apart. Leroy slept in the living room and Yolanda slept in the room with Sharice. And two weeks before the trip to Vegas, Yolanda had moved out and wasn't planning on going on this trip. Given the age difference, we can go ahead and... (coughs) All call.
0: <laughs> Sorry, you don't have to say that part. <laughs> it's one of those moments.
2: Uh, mm-hmm. We'll just call him Chester.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So,
2: oddly enough, that kind of ties back to the conversation of the internet chat, mm-hmm. but totally separate cases.
1: Mm-hmm. hmm hmm huh.
0: Yeah. So, while we were researching, we found out that Leroy had already lost three children, two to SIDS and one was a stillborn. We also found out that social workers had come to his home on numerous different occasions on numerous different occasions for abuse allegations, but it never went anywhere. What we do know is that he did love his daughter Sharice and he rarely trusted anyone with his kids. And I put in here, little wonder why. If you were a 45-year-old man who who was able to get with a 15-year-old girl and knock her up, Mm. you know how to play that game very well. Of course, once you have your own kids, you're not going to want that to happen. Right. Not calling Leroy a piece of shit, but I'm kind of calling him a piece of shit well sorry i'm I'm
2: pretty sure that a piece of shit's pretty well justified for him yeah and you guys will find out more here in a little bit yeah
0: i just have a hard time not being mad at everybody throughout this case yeah (laughs) Leroy would drop off and pick up Charisse from school every single day and would usually show up, you know, around 20 minutes early just to make sure that Charisse never had to wait for anybody, nobody else would pick her up, anything like that. Sure. And she always dressed very nicely, but she was she was just your typical 7-year-old girl. She was just a happy kid.
2: Well, since Leroy never trusted babysitters, he always took Charisse and Harold, 14 at the time, to the casinos with him, and he'd give the two cash to play in the arcade, and leave Harold to watch over his little sister, 14-year-old to watch a 7-year-old mm-hmm. running freely mm-hmm. in a casino.
0: Because that sounds yep, like a that, smart that, idea.
2: sounds like a piece of shit to me. Yep. <laughs> hmm. Well, from there he would disappear into the casinos for booze and gambling and what other Doing whatever debauchery he could find his way into, and yeah, this became second-hand nature, so when Leroy planned a trip over Memorial Day weekend no one ever planned on anything bad happening and we also know how well his or how well older siblings watch the younger ones and Mm -hmm. I mean we're kind of going into that so
0: yeah I mean if you ever have kids and you tell your older the oldest to watch the youngest ones you know that you have a band-aid of like maybe five minutes
1: (laughs) right (laughs) that's it (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs)
0: yeah
2: why'd you punch him because he put a cup in the dog water
0: yeah i didn't want him to fill it up with dog water (laughs) okay (laughs) all
2: right that's that's a local household story we'll
0: just say this
2: (laughs) our three-year-old punched our one-year-old because our one-year-old put a cup in the dog water yep Ah, oh, three boys. This is gonna be an adventure.
0: Uh huh. Life is life is crazy. You can't <laughs> you can't pause for two seconds.
2: Right now, here's the scary part of that. Literally, between our three year old and our one year old is less than three inches height difference, and our three year old is a big kid.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Our one year old is a mountain.
0: Yeah, he is a mountain.
2: He is humongous. He, he but he's is. not a fat kid. He's just a no. big big kid.
0: He is very very big. But yeah, we we know all too well about saying, "Hey, keep an eye out for just a second Yeah, that never happens.
2: Yeah, keep an eye out. You
0: got it ooh,
3: pretty. Ooh. <laughs> oh.
0: Yeah, fend for yourself. See you when mom gets back. <laughs>
2: right. Where'd mom go? Um, I don't know. I don't know, I don't
0: know but I'm going to punch you in the head now. Right. <laughs>
2: I've heard of this movie it's called Lord of the Flies. <laughs> I'm pretty sure.
0: <laughs> pretty sure. I'm pretty
2: sure run Piggy run.
0: <laughs> oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, you you're good. I remember having to read that book.
2: Right. That's pretty much a day in the life at our house. <laughs> mm. It's home. It's home. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. That's
0: all right. Right. You go ahead.
2: In May in 1997, Leroy loaded up the kids and left for or left L.A. at around 8 p.m. to avoid any traffic, and they arrived at around midnight 30 to the Prim Valley Resort. They went to Buffalo Bill's Hotel Casino, which was owned by the Prim Valley Resort. At 1.30 a.m., they were kicked out by security due to lack of supervision of his children. After that, they went across I-15 to the Primadonna.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. which is also later was renamed back to like the Prim Valley Resort. They just kept it all as one thing. But. Sure. With having casinos there are some laws in or there were some laws in place when it came to children. So Nevada law prohibits kids from lingering on the casino floors. The whole night the staff either had to take Charisse off the floor dragging her away from her father or bringing her to him and asking Leroy to take care of his
1: kids. Oh.
0: The most to help that they would get out of him would be to threaten Harold for not doing what Leroy asked. Other than that, he just drank and gambled. He did not care. He also had no money for a hotel room. Correction, he had money. He chose to spend it gambling versus getting a hotel room. Yep. So he stayed upstairs playing slots and let his kid play in the arcade until whenever he would be done. We're not really sure. All we can tell you is that Sharice wouldn't be found until 5 a.m. So mm-hmm. that's pretty much around the time that we know that Leroy Roy was finally done gambling good Mm
2: -hmm. Charisse ended up in the arcade where David Cash Jr. and Jeremy were also hanging out David and Jeremy were in the arcade being bored teens (laughs) peeing on a couple of the coin games (laughs) like the Big Bertha and the helicopter game and they also peed in a light socket
0: why do boys have to pee on everything yeah
2: well it's kind of a rite of passage I guess oh
0: my gosh (laughs) Uh That poor little people that had to clean it up. I just, I hate cleaning pee. Uh Uh-huh. I feel for them deeply.
2: Uh Uh-huh. Well, they also were flashing their pierced tongues and Jeremy's freshly pierced nipples. And the casino had been giving them alcohol that night, too. Mm Mm-hmm. Good job. Yeah,
0: they're 18. I'm pretty sure they're not supposed to be doing that. No, 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 no.
2: And, uh, well, go ahead and mix that with methamphetamine and Jeremy's ADD medication, Both these dudes are flat off their face. Mm -hmm. They're fucked up. Well, they weren't quiet about who they were. And when they found Charisse, they all played, quote, hide and go seek.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: In the YouTube link, they show many of, yeah, they show many of the security tape footages. Yeah. Jesus.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Go ahead.
2: (laughs) Security footage tapes. Right.
0: Which, if you want, you guys can go and check those out. Those are the things that when the news broke and they were trying to find who who did it and then afterwards when it was caught they just played those over and over again and you do she's just she's just a young kid found older people thought it's kind of like she has an older brother Mm mm-hmm thinking that it was going to be okay. Yep. So Charisse came into the bathroom and then in the video you can actually see where Jeremy is closely behind her and then trailing behind the both of them is David. From there they would get wet paper towels and toss them at each other and things were going fine until Charisse picked up one of those yellow wet floor signs Mm -hmm. in the bathroom and she tossed it at Jeremy and when it hit him in the arm, he lost all control. Picked up Sharice and forced her into the stall. This is where David got into the stall next to them and watches. Jeremy covered her mouth with his left hand and fondled her with his right.
2: Mm -hmm. According to David, Jeremy was telling Sharice to shut up or he was going to kill her. David tries to tell Jeremy to quit, but he didn't listen. So despite seeing what he's seeing, which is his friend, who is high on drugs and drunk, hurting an innocent seven-year-old, uh, well, Mm -hmm. David gets out of the stall and leaves the restroom. Twenty-ish minutes later, Jeremy is seen leaving the bathroom and Sharice was never found on camera again. When he comes back out, Jeremy gives David the full confession. David's only question question. Huh. It wasn't about murder or any of the other horrible things that happened. All David wanted to know is, uh, well, if Jeremy was able to get Sharice wet first, mm. was she sexually aroused?
0: Excuse you. The fuck did you just say? Uh-huh. Yeah. So this is the kind of friend David is.
1: Uh-huh.
0: I'm going to go ahead and assume if he's asking if she was wet, he knew what was going to happen. He knew what he was going to be doing. And he probably was a little jealous. Maybe. Probably. I don't know. Fucking hope he dies in fire. Hmm. Jeremy took off her boots and pulled off her underwear. As he raped her, he squeezed her neck when she made a sound. When two women walked into the bathroom, he sat on her stomach putting her legs behind his and covering her mouth. The scary thing that happened for me when I was reading or when this was going on is they talked about the women that came into the bathroom, but not one person who entered the restroom during that 20 minutes knew what was happening at all.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It was right there and still so far away. Right. So, when they left, Jeremy noticed that Sharice's breathing was labored, and he talks about how he didn't want to leave her in a vegetative state the rest of her life. He felt bad. Oh. So, with feeling bad and not wanting to leave her as a vegetable, he tried to snap her neck, like he saw in the movies. Right. And it didn't work the first time. So, the snack, the second time, he did it until he finally heard a pop. Huh. And after she was dead. He put her boots and underwear in the toilet by her feet and he folded her arms over her legs. He had had foam and blood on his hand that he wiped off and tossed the paper towel on the floor and walked out. And that was the end
1: of it.
2: Charisse would be found around 5 a.m. on May 25th, 1997, only after Leroy finally was trying to find her. A housekeeper would be the one to make the discovery and have to be the one to take Leroy to the bathroom. Sadly, this housekeeper would have panic attacks the rest of her life over it. In fact, this hit everyone pretty hard. An employee still remembers showing up to work that day around 6.30 and uh, thought they were going to hear about a relationship or ship gone wrong, not the murder of a seven-year-old. The news his daughter was murdered, Leroy asked for $100, a hotel room, a plane ticket home, and money for the funeral. That information came from an article from the L.A. Times on July 19th, 1998. Seems like an odd response finding out your child was murdered, especially if you never trusted anyone with your kids before. This should be his greatest fear coming to life, not worrying about getting paid for it. Right. But, and really, a hundred bucks in a hotel room? (coughs) Yeah. Mm, uh, Okay.
0: I don't even think that asking for anything would be in my wheelhouse at that moment. Uh Uh-uh. But on the other end of it, I don't think... I'm ever going to take my children to a casino throughout the night.
2: Right. And have them running around at three, four, five o'clock in the morning? Yeah. Nope.
0: Completely unattended. (laughs) Nope. No idea. So after the murder, Jeremy and David left the casino showing off their piercings as they left, which was stupid because it got caught on camera. Anyways, glad they're dumbasses. Right. Instead of reporting what happened, they played quarter machines, drank, rode roller coasters, and just cruised around and talked about what just went down.
1: Mm-hmm. They
0: made a truce not to tell anybody about it. David and Jeremy talked about how they were going to keep this a secret, that they needed to come up with a plan since there were probably going to be or there were cameras around. Right. However, beyond that, they didn't seem to care at all that Jeremy just murdered a child. As the casino was making the discovery of Sharice, the boys were already on their way back home. Huh. Yeah.
2: So, yeah.
0: Not a care in the world Yeah. that he just murdered a seven-year-old child after he raped her because he's had fantasies but then we're just not gonna we're just not gonna say anything. Nah, that's cool.
2: Yeah, this dude's a fucking dirtball. It wouldn't take long before the news hit California. Two of Jeremy's classmates identified him and David and they would be arrested three days later. In a Time article from June 2001, Jeremy said he did it because, quote, he wanted to experience death. Jeremy also made the mistake of bragging to some people in school about the murder, something his friends struggled with. At first, they didn't believe
0: it because Jeremy showed no emotions whatsoever about it. So they were very shocked when it found out that it was all true. Mm -hmm. And Jeremy knew he's going to get in trouble. And so he also planned on running away since they were looking for him. They identified his hat and shorts from the night of the murder. So he ended up burning those. But since they didn't belong to Jeremy, they actually belonged to a friend. He had to tell his friend like, hey, by the way, sorry, burned your clothes in our fireplace because i murdered that girl right sorry about your bad luck gotta bounce
1: Bye. Oh.
0: But then he planned on he was just going to kill himself and run away at the same time. I don't know what he was thinking. Drugs are bad, okay? So he took all of his ADD medications and he went on the run out of the back when his mom came through the front door.
1: Oh, okay. And
0: he left behind this note that said, quote, I'm so sorry. I just pray that this is enough to finish me off. Please, Lord, let me die. I'm sorry, Mom. Sorry, Dad. Heather. All my friends and family. Forgive me for I have sinned. I am sorry. Please give these things to Agnes Lee. Tell her I will always love her. Hmm.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, his plan is to run away and die, but that didn't work out. He was caught, taken to the hospital, and had his stomach pumped. Then he was arrested. Phil Ramos was a homicide detective and was the one who took the confession from Jeremy Stromer, uh, or Stromeyer. Phil holds no love for Jeremy.
1: Mm-mm. Good for you, Phil.
2: Like, for real, it's good for you. Mm-hmm. The case was very hard for many reasons. The sheer innocence of Charisse, the brutality of how she was murdered, and the cold, emotionless reactions from Jeremy. There was an article in the Las Vegas Review Journal that did an interview with Phil on the twentieth anniversary of her death, and it's still fresh for him. Nothing oh. Jeremy can say or do will ever change how he feels.
0: No, and I don't blame him. Right, I don't blame him at all. So, real quick, we'll go back into mentioning David. So now that Jeremy was at least arrested, we get to talk about how much we hate this guy, uh-huh. this David guy. These are all going to be direct quotes from him, right. and you will kind of get a feel for. Uh, the type of person that he was.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, I will be Los Angeles Times and you can be Captain Fuff
1: yeah.
0: Cool. So, why would you ask if the little girl was aroused?
3: Uh, well, I don't know. It's just the way I think.
0: Did you ask her why he killed her?
3: I never asked him why. He never explained. I didn't see how there could be eh, any explanation.
0: Were you appalled that the friend said he killed the little girl?
3: I'm not going to get upset over somebody else's life i just worry about myself first not gonna lose any sleep over somebody else's problem
0: why didn't you turn jeremy over to the
3: police i didn't want to be the person who takes away his last day his last night of freedom
0: do you still consider jeremy a friend
3: well yeah he didn't do anything to me looked up to jeremy as much as anyone else okay (laughs) fucking cocksucker Right?
0: I just, I'm not gonna lose, I'm not gonna get upset over somebody else's life. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Um. Now you
2: get to play a Long Beach police officer.
3: Yeah, yeah, I do.
0: <laughs>
2: and I'm still gonna be Captain
3: Fuckface. Cause I'm just a spineless little weasel rat fucker. That I'm gonna be a nuclear engineer. And
0: but you're also an arrogant bastard.
3: I'm a fuckface, <laughs> and I need to, you know, have someone push in my stool, and I'm not talking about a four-legged wooden chair. <laughs>
0: Asshole. Asshole. All right. Did you think about the safety of the little girl?
3: Um, I'm sure I thought, you know, what would happen to her? What is he going to do to her? Um, I mean, she was big in, uh, being, uh, you know, restrained against her will.
0: Didn't you think that that was something you should go and report right away?
3: Um, I probably should have, but I still, I don't, you know, at that point, I couldn't fathom Jeremy, you know, giving physical harm.
0: That you did Jeremy make any mention in regard to her appearance or sexuality or anything about her?
3: Well, nothing serious, I mean, we always joke around, I mean, like, you know, those little girls, you know, yummy this and that, but always in a joking manner.
1: Yeah, can't
0: say as though I've ever looked at a seven year old and said yummy. No. It's just not in my wheelhouse.
2: No. (laughs) No, it's, it's not.
0: That's what I was saying earlier when obviously David had to have known. Right. You're going to talk about how you found a seven-year-old physically appealing and you watched him as he was fondling her and dragging her into a bathroom against her will, but you didn't think anything was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Right. 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 Mm-hmm.
2: Even being or even after being taken down to the police for statements, David, Jesus, David seemed to enjoy the attention he was getting. David was removed from school after he turned in an art project that was obscene, pierced genitalia of women from magazines. Uh, okay. I love it. (laughs) Okay. I can see
0: why he would be upset. Right. Or the school would be upset.
2: Right. The school also said he couldn't attend prom or the graduation. David was informed he would be refunded his tickets for the prom and they would just mail him his diploma. So when prom came, Jeremy Phillips came down from Oregon, and. drove past the school in front of TV reporters popping out of a limo but saying he wouldn't be going in.
0: Yeah, he caused a big scene after it. Like, he used her death as a way to, I don't know, score? I don't don't know what's going on in his head. Uh, David Cash Jr. never faced any charges because they didn't have enough to charge him with accessory to murder. He had also said some bullshit things like, I'm no idiot, I will get my money out of this. Mm Mm-hmm. So, David had no cares in the world at all about the death of Sharice. He only cared that his friend was now in trouble, too, and a way to try to get something out of it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: When he told the newspaper who's going to get his money, he was being offered $21,000 from a movie company who wanted his story. He was also finding it easier to score with women now that his name was all over the place, which, uh, I don't know how the fuck that happens. I don't know why some women, oh, it just oh, makes no sense. Yeah. And to top it off, David sold the video of him and Jeremy getting drunk for $1,500 to extra. And I put in there, that dumbass magazine.
1: Extra.
2: There used to be a a TV show on.
0: Oh, I know. I used to have to watch it all the time. Yeah. It was brutal.
2: Right. When David went on to college, fellow students would try to get David kicked out of Berkeley for not stopping the crime. Not just students, but staff and even radio hosts were not okay with the fact that this guy could still get an education. However, all was for naught. Mm -hmm. Because the school couldn't remove him since he was never convicted of a crime and in the eyes of the law, he was (coughs) innocent. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> David was a chode though <laughs> besides his shitty comments we've already read he made it much worse when he would
3: say I have a lot of remorse for the Iverson family it was a very tragic event simple fact remains I don't know this little girl I don't know people in Panama or Africa who were killed every day so I can't feel remorse for them the only person I know is Jeremy Strohmeyer that was a direct quote that scumbag
2: dirtball motherfucker made on 60 Minutes.
0: Oh, and he's such a doofus looking... He's
2: a fuckface.
0: ...guy. Ew. I just hate him. So, Charisse's mother, Yolanda, wanted David to be charged with accessory, but since it was never written into law that he had to report it, and there wasn't anything else to try to make anything stick, he was free. Both Yolanda and Leroy did, however, separately file lawsuits against Jeremy and the casino.
2: Okay. Well, nothing could stick to David. The evidence against jeremy was astounding due to the circum whoa
3: mm.
2: hmm. due to the circumstances of the murder death penalty was on the table
3: yay Woo-hoo! yay go nevada
2: and i mean this mm-hmm. i mean this with every fiber of my being this fucking chode smoker should have been fucking lit on fire
0: mm-hmm. and then somebody should have found david outside yeah
1: yeah, yeah.
2: anyway and- Leslie Abramson, who also defended the Menendez brothers, was Jeremy's attorney. Jeremy would try to claim that he was high on drugs and booze at the time, and he didn't remember anything. Right. Uh, Yeah. Right. Jeremy would try to claim that he was... Oops. Hey, let's let's go ahead and read that sentence again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. That maybe it was even David who had killed her. Leslie would try to say that Jeremy's biological parents were shitty people. Father in prison, mother was in a mental hospital. If the parents would have known, they could have looked for signs to help their son. Or if Jeremy knew his parents, he wouldn't have felt so lost. Eh, eh, You'll hear it all here in a minute. Mm -hmm. Fucking
1: bitch. Right.
0: I don't give off fuck. Trial was supposed to start September 1998 and prosecution had them in their crosshairs. It didn't matter what vagina Jeremy climbed out of or how drunk he was at the time of the murder. Doesn't explain his child porn collections and his own words of I fantasize having sex with five and six year olds all the time. Mm -hmm. And there was another thing that they tried to throw out in the same breath and it says that he was also making his girlfriends dress as schoolgirls for him. Which, I understand, but again, that part I feel is a little bit of a stretch.
2: That's stretching.
0: Yeah, because Cause i mean uh you can't explain away videos called slamming at six but uh school girl uniform those are like halloween costumes how many times do you see that britney spears videos like everybody's yeah. in a school girl uniform i think that's a universal whatever
2: yeah wait isn't it that britney song
0: poops i shit in my pants oh, yeah pretty much oh
2: wait no that's excuse me that's the wrong lyrics
0: no i totally think that it's right
2: <laughs> totally <laughs> well either way. He was facing first degree murder, first degree kidnap, sexual assault of a minor. The plea was entered on September 8th, 1998 of guilty on four charges. Murder, kidnapping, sexual assault, and bodily harm with sexual assault. On October 14th, 1998 Jeremy was sentenced to four life terms and they're to be served consecutively without possibility of parole. So...
1: Mm Bye.
2: Yeah, bye. But But, uh, Why? Sharice's mother Yolanda uh, was there for the sentence And said, Are you a demon? Are you a devil? You are so evil. If I had a wish here, I would put you to death the same way you put my child to death. If it was my prison, I would blindfold you and shoot you in your face feet and send you back to your cell Mm -hmm. so with that said we're going to take a little tiny break for a second we'll be just back
0: here in a moment yeah when we come back we'll go through the final statement that jeremy stroma made to the court and everything that happened after we're almost done uh oh And we're back.
2: And we are back. So, from here, it's going to be pretty much direct quotes from Jeremy Strohmeyer's final statements to the court. It was Wednesday, October 14th, 1998. His final statement reads as such, You can't imagine a life more barren of consolation than that which I have lived since the tragic morning of May 25th, 1997. It is my resolution that you should know the extent of my despair, sorrow, and I hope that through these inadequate words, you may come to appreciate at least some measure of the shame and regret that I carry because of what I have done. I am haunted daily by the fact that I am to blame for the death of Sharice Iverson. Nobody could even begin to understand the depths of my despair and sadness, except Sharice's family, or perhaps my own grief-stricken parents. No one should ever have to experience pain such as what Yolanda Manuel and Leroy Iverson have experienced in losing their daughter. Words cannot bring Sharice back. As much as I wish they could all the same, these are some words that need to be said. I am sorry. I am sorry for my part in the tragedy that took place that early morning. The tragedy that resulted in little Sharice's untimely death. I do not know if any apology from me will ever have any worth for Sharice's family but whether they will be able to accept it or not, I must apologize. Let it be known to Yolanda Manuel, to Leroy Iverson and every person who ever knew and loved Sharice Iverson, I am truly sorry. If I were given the opportunity to exchange my life for Sharice's and bring her back, I would not hesitate, not even for one second to do so. Not a day goes by that I don't feel the crushing weight of my guilt and sorrow for her loss. Sharice would still be alive today if not for me and I have got to to live with that truth for the rest of my life. I am a condemned man, not only by the state, but by my own conscience as well. I know nothing... I am about to say can change the outcome of these proceedings, even so, I want this court and anyone who has heard, heard of, or read about this terrible crime to know the truth of what happened that devastating morning and why it happened. Even though there is no guarantee that I will be believed, I feel that it is important that the truth be known in order to alert others to how this horrible event came to pass. Nothing I'm going to say about these events is offered as an excuse for my own conduct. I accept full responsibility for these crimes committed against Sharice Iverson, but if people can understand, as I have come to understand why this happened, (coughs) then perhaps a tragedy such as this can be averted and children like Sharice and myself might avoid the er, destruction of their lives. That morning to me is terribly uncertain. Looking back, I can see the horror that occurred that day was due to a convergence of malignant forces of which I was one. It was malevolent providence, which brought Together, myself, David Cash, and Sharice Iverson in that arcade that tragic morning. Although I have and have always had an obscure, partial recollection of the events, what I do know is this. I'm going to throw in a little asterisk right here. This is Quinn speaking, not Captain Fuckmouth. Mm -hmm. He did not write this.
0: Oh, hell no.
2: (laughs) He did not write this at all. This is a completely doctored bullshit speech. Uh
0: Uh-huh. And honestly, even if he did write it himself, I don't fucking care. You didn't care when you did it. You didn't care even before you got caught. Yeah. Don't care now just because you got caught and now you're being punished. Fuck mm-hmm. you
1: mm-hmm
0: fuck you in the mouth twice
1: okay,
2: okay back to asshats words mm-hmm. on the morning of may 25th 1997 i was drinking beer and wandering aimlessly through casinos and arcades with david cash everything i saw was through a drunken and drugged haze i remember playing video games in one arcade where a little boy and girl were running around chasing each other Dave and I spent hours playing video games while waiting for David's or for Dave's father to finish playing poker so we could leave. When the little kids started playing with me, I began playing with them. I know that on the arcade videotapes it shows me chasing Charisse to into the ladies room. I then leave. Cash also shows up going in, going in after I leave and then Charisse runs out. That is the first time the chasing game we were playing involved the ladies room. But in truth, I don't remember that first time. What I do remember is following Sharice when she next entered the bathroom. When I followed her in, it was only as part of the game. I never meant her any harm. I had no plan, no intentions, nothing. Inside the bathroom, I saw Charisse near the sinks, and I thought she was getting some wet paper towels to throw at me as part of the game. Suddenly, she picked up a wet floor sign and swung it at me, hitting my arm. I remember feeling irrational, <clears throat> irrationally enraged at this, and remembered picking her up. That is the last thing I can remember until later on. I believe I blacked out for a period of time. When I came to, I was in a bathroom in a stall with this little girl who was unconscious, lying on uh, on her back on the toilet. I could hear two young female voices outside the stall. Can you imagine what it would be like to open your eyes, not knowing where you were, how you got there, to find yourself looking down on a half-naked dying little girl. Can you imagine the fear, the panic, the sickness that rushes over you as you realize that somehow you have done something to this little girl that caused her to be dying? Yet you don't remember doing anything. This is what happened to me. The panic overcame me and I couldn't think straight. My only thought was to hide the fact that Sharice was there. I sat, on her, I sat down on her to cover her from view. After the two girls left, I had a feeling of total unreality and terror. I wanted to get out of there as soon as I could, but in my drunken and drugged out panic, I crazily felt that I couldn't leave the child in her suffering state. In this panic, I tried to stop her pain, and then I tried to get away from that horrible scene as fast as I could, but I haven't been able to escape it. That scene is etched into my memory and will haunt me every day for the rest of my life. It is no comfort to me that I can or cannot remember all the details of what happened. I want to remember, I want to know, and I have tried to bring it back, but I can't. I have learned that the arcade videos show eight females entered and left the restroom while I was in there with Charisse. I was totally unaware of six of them. As I told the police, I only remember two young girls being there. I am told that they are the last two that came in and that I left within two minutes of their leave. Leaving. for 20 of 22 minutes. I was in that stall with that little girl. I have no memory of what happened, but I am certain of the knowledge that not for me, Sharice would still be alive. There is nothing I wish more than a miracle, which would allow me to change that awful truth. I wish I could go back and save Sharice.
0: So in the second part of this, he talked about why he made the false confessions. And he said, after that morning, nothing made sense. I was stricken with guilt and sick with remorse because I knew that this little girl was dead because of me. Yet my best friend at the time, David Cash, was repeatedly showering me and himself with accolades for what he had supposedly, for what we had supposedly gotten away with. I have been told recently as this August he was still talking about this uh, monstrous murder as something to be proud of. He may have been proud of what he did that morning, but he makes me sick. Even that day I knew full well of the evil of of what I had done, yet there Dave was, offering me praise for the part I had in with what had happened. It was strange and confusing. I didn't know what to think. It didn't matter, though, because it wasn't long before the guilt enveloped me. While we were still in Nevada, Dave talked about how we should hide the facts of what had happened. He told me that he had been there in the women's restroom with me and Sharice, although I have never remembered him being there with us. He talked about the video cameras and that we might get recognized and how we should deal with that. After I got back to California, all I could think about was that this little girl was dead because of me and I deserved to die. I wanted to die, but I also wanted to conceal from my parents what I had done, the monster I had become. I felt I could never face them if the truth became known. There was only two thoughts in my head. Should I try to run away or should I die? On May 28th, I decided to die. I didn't know whether the police were on their way to my house to arrest me or not. All I knew was that I could not live with the shame and guilt of having taken the life of an innocent little girl. So I took my bottle of dexedrine, an amphetamine that had been prescribed to me less than a week earlier, and I proceeded to eat every pill in the bottle. I washed them down with beer and whiskey to help the pills dissolve faster, so as to speed up the process. After I had finished eating all the pills, I sat down and wrote a note to my family saying how sorry I was. Then I sat down and waited to die, but it wasn't my fate to die that day. My mother came home un- unexpectedly, and I ran from the house before she could see me, because I could not be Bear to face her with all the shame I carried in my heart. I didn't get far before I was arrested. I was brought into a hospital where my stomach was pumped. I didn't start feeling the effects of the pills that I had swallowed until after the doctors and nurses had finished pumping my stomach. At that point in time, I remember feeling disconnected from the real world. Everything seemed to be happening to someone else. I did realize that there were two police officers in the same room as me next to my bed. They were asking me questions and telling me how it would be easier on myself, my family, and everyone else if if I would just confess to everything. So I began to tell them everything they wanted to hear or at least what I thought they wanted to hear based on their questions and remarks. I told them what little I remembered and what I didn't remember I made up based upon the things I had read in the papers, things that Cash had told me, and the things that seemed to be suggested from the officer's questions. I later learned that some of these things I had said didn't make sense given that eight females entered the bathroom during the 22 minutes I was there and would have seen or heard some of the actions I described to the police, but since I felt responsible for Charisse's, for Charisse's death, I didn't think the details mattered. When they brought me to the police station, I was tired and depressed. I knew that I had failed my attempts to end my life. I still wanted to die, but that wasn't my only priority at that point. Given the influence that he had had on me for the previous year, I felt misplaced loyalty towards David Cash, and as we had discussed and planned, I protected him by making sure that I took the blame for everything, whether I knew that I was really to blame or not. I did this because he was my best friend and he had begged me to leave him out of it. So with that in mind and my eagerness to and my life. I confessed to all the wrongs, both real and imagined, that were committed against Sharice. I confessed to things remembered and not remembered. I latched on every little bit of information that I had been fed earlier by the police and newspaper and David and incorporated all those bits into my story and made them my own, with the mindset that I must take all the blame with the subtle intention to make sure that the destruction of my life was uh, irrevocable. I told my truths and lies. By the time the detectives from Las Vegas had turned on his tape recorder I had already rehearsed the story several times with the detectives from long Beach
2: what brought about slash led to the tragedy the questions i have asked myself many times since that horrible fateful morning is where did I go so wrong if someone had told me on the day be- or yeah on the day before this happened that I would be capable of killing someone let alone an innocent child and would end up spending my whole life in prison for murder I would not have believed them for a second I would never have thought I was we you the type of immoral, unfeeling person who would do so evil a thing to anyone, let alone a vulnerable little girl. So I asked myself, how did I ever get to the point in which I could cause a little girl to die? In trying to answer these questions, I have had so much help from my lawyers, my family, my psych- er, er, and psychiatric experts. I've learned a lot about the risks of so-called closed adoptions, about genetic risk factors, for inheriting mental illness and addiction, about the inadequacy of using a person's intelligence alone as a measure of whether that person is good or evil, about the difficulty of getting <clears throat> competent help for emotional problems, about the lethal effect of drugs and alcohol. This knowledge came too late to save Charisse and too late to save me. But But my whole purpose in speaking out today is in hopes that it is not too late for other children. Children like Sharice, children like me. For some of us who are adopted, not knowing whom or where we came from can wreck our lives. It can make us walking time bombs full of rage we didn't consciously experience, full of false beliefs in a dark and evil nature that er, that we may unwittingly set out to prove the existence of for some of us who have birth families like mine with long histories of alcoholism not knowing leaves <coughs> leaves us unprotected what happened to me that morning was a culmination of all of the unsuspected risks or risk factors in my life that i did not know how to recognize or address on that horrible morning it was my alcohol abuse and dependency on methamphetamine coupled with a drug prescribed from a non-existent Condi- er, for a non existent condition that caused my brain to go haywire, resulting in, in, a, in a violent explosion that I either cannot or, or can't or won't remember. But it was my embracing of what I thought was <clears throat> my dark side that caused David Cash to be the person who I was with, the person who would not lift a finger to save an innocent child from the drunken, drugged out mess that I was. Another asterisk. Here. Mm-hmm. David Cash is a puke. David Cash is a fuckface.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yes.
2: Quit trying to place the blame. Right. Quit trying to place the blame. Mm-hmm. Okay, back to fuckface's words. I know that what he is now and was then an arrogant, unfeeling hater. Had I known who I truly was, I would have seen him for what he was, and I would have never spoken to, let alone befriended, so morally corrupt an individual. (sighs) I have done a monstrous thing and am prepared, indeed willing, to be punished for the rest of my life. However inadequate that may be for Sharice's sake, but but it did not have to end this way. Six months before that tragic morning, I was an honor student, a senior in high school, looking forward to graduating from that school and moving on to college. I was going to be an officer in the Air Force, serving my country. I was going to fly airplanes for a living the rest of my days. I had my whole life ahead of me, and I knew exactly what I was going to do with it. For most of my life, I thought of myself as a normal, caring, sensitive person, a good guy. But that last year, I started to have crazy thoughts. I was filled with anger and rage that I I couldn't understand and an obsessive dependence on a constantly rejecting deceitful girl. I do not know if the circumstances of my birth made my fate a foregone thing. I know now too late that my birth mother was a schizophrenic with a long history of alcohol abuse and drug addiction. The reason I did not know this was because the Los Angeles County Adoption Agency, which arranged my adoption, concealed the truth about my birth parents' backgrounds from my adoption adoptive parents on purpose. I know that had my parents known about the high risk I was or I was at of running into emotional problems and addiction that they would have been more alert for signs of trouble and sought qualified help earlier in my life before the warning signs began, but just knowing the truth about my birth parents could have prevented my addiction. My recently found half brother who knows our biological mother and grew up seeing what addiction and illness has done to her has ...has avoided the pitfalls of drug and alcohol use. But our other brother, my full biological brother, has been having some of the same problems that I have been having... For, or having in the year before May 25th. I can only hope and pray that his adoptive, his adoptive parents will come to understand how important it is for him to know the whole truth of where he came from. My family and defense team have all the information we need. I beg them to use it to help my brother. I know I was falling apart and I knew I needed help even if all the causes were not known to me. I thought my darkening depression, which led me to abuse drugs, was caused by the torment that my girlfriend was putting me through. Adoptive kids like me, I now know, seek out rejection. Believe on some level that no one will keep them. In Agnes Lee I found a perfect tool for my self hatred, a pathological liar who claimed she was incapable of genuine feelings for people. I was going to teach her to love. Instead she taught me the pain of being rejected, of having my offspring aborted, of using methamphetamines to mask pain. It was for her it was for her that I first purchased speed. I tried it for the first time and it made me feel good, so I began using it on a regular basis. This usage Quickly turned into an addiction. This addiction soon ran over into every aspect of my life. I started ditching classes at school almost every day. I quit my school volleyball team that I had played with at the varsity level. My life began to fall apart around me. My behavior began to change. I began or became an aggressive, violent person. I began to fight with my parents more and more. My parents noticed the change, <clears throat> as did my coach and my friends. My parents knew something was wrong, so they took me with them to see a family counselor. This counselor, whom it turns out was not licensed, told my parents that I suffered from a Attention Deficit Disorder, which I didn't. He, in turn, sent me to a psychiatrist. I met with the psychiatrist for about 20 minutes, and at the end of these 20 minutes, this doctor gave me a prescription for a drug called dexedrine, a form of amphetamine. I began taking the drug the next day. When I ran out of illegal speed, I used dexedrine as a substitute. It was two days after meeting with the psychiatrist that Dave Cash called me on the phone and invited me to travel to Las Vegas for the weekend with him and his father. (coughs) When we arrived at the state line... That Evening around midnight, I was coming down from my speed and trying to reverse the effects of my crash with my newly prescribed dexedrine. This seemed to stop the downward spiral, but it wasn't enough, so I started drinking as soon as I got the chance. While I was buying my first drink that night, I had the same thought that would have earned that I would have almost every time I began to drink I must get drunk or I'll go mad. Every time I would get drunk, I would forget all about my worries and my problems, I would just be happy so i drank it's sickening to me that all these things came together provoked me to, to such brutality i was raised by parents who were or who are moral and ethical people who deplored violence they were more than good to me and they taught me to be mo- be a moral and ethical person as well as a teenager i gave in to my weakness without even knowing what they were the teenage culture I was part of was full of language of violence and hatred. I didn't think it affected who I was. Maybe I was wrong about that. My future plans at that time did not include criminal activity, let alone such brutal behavior. Although I felt responsible for what happened that night, I also believe that I can it can't be understood as merely the evil act of an evil person. It could have been prevented by me had I armed or had I been armed with the knowledge I have now. But also by others uh, had they done the right thing. Had I received competent treatment when I was seeking it, like... <sighs> like the residential alcohol treatment program I expected to enter only to be turned away. Had I not been misdiagnosed by an unlicensed therapist and prescribed drugs by a careless psychiatrist who was relying on that misdiagnosis? Had any of these three mental health professionals I sought help and advice from even raised an issue of adoption, they might have treated me for the complications it it caused in my life. Had we known where and who who I came from and what the risks were. Has David Cash been a human being instead of a callous brain without a heart or soul? Had the casinos not sold alcohol repeatedly to an 18-year-old? Had the gambling interest not lured families to the casinos for all night activities? Had David, Cash sen- uh, yeah, had David Cash Sr. kept his promise to leave by 3 a.m.? If any of those things had been different, would that have saved Charisse? I believe so, but none of us would. ever know.
0: So what good I want to come of this? That any of this happened is indeed tragic, but to me it would be even more tragic if if nothing is learned from this horrible occurrence. In letting the circumstances of my life and how it led to this tragedy be known, I am not seeking sympathy or forgiveness or a lessening of my own guilt. My only desire is that parents and kid alike, parents and kids alike, will learn from my life and Sharice's death how to detect problems such as I had and prevent their escalation into tragedy. I robbed charisse of her happiness of love and laughter and learning and accomplishment it doesn't matter what she would have been she was like anyone's daughter or sister or niece or cousin an innocent child who deserved better than she had in her short life what happened to her is every good parent's nightmare but other children won't be protected so long as people believe in the stereotypes and the characters,
2: characters. Caricatures.
0: okay. Caricatures. Yeah, I just... Yeah, okay. I'm tired. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I am not a monster, a pedophile, a delinquent, a sociopath. I was not a predator waiting to snatch this child from her family. If I were all these things, it would be that much easier to understand and explain. I am not that different from other people's sons or brothers or nephews or cousins. I was a high-performing, likable kid with a bright future, a sense of duty, and a sense of honor. What happened to me could happen to other kids kids. Like Sharice, I expected a long life surrounded by a loving family. It is not my nature to crawl off in some hole and be forgotten without speaking out against those things that could be changed to protect other kids. (laughs) kids like Sharice and kids like me. What needs to be understood is that being adopted is not the same as being born into a family. Things are different now than when I was adopted. There are a lot of open adoptions where the adoptive parents know all about the biological parents and they can give their children vital information the whole family needs to understand each other. Many adopted kids don't go through the confusions and doubts about who they are like I did, but a lot do. Don't get me wrong, this doesn't mean that adoption is bad. What's bad is not knowing who you are, what your genetic history is, or why you were given up for adoption in the first place. For people like me who are part of a closed adoption, it shouldn't be as difficult as to find out about your roots. If there are good reasons not to give out the names of birth parents, then at least mental health, medical records, criminal criminal records, and ethnic identity inter- information should be readily available to adoptive families. Had my parents not been led to believe in the false popular myth that adoption is a non-issue in the adopted child's mind, they might have, suspe- they might have suspected the existence of a secret, shameful self inside of me. They might have seen how serious my struggle with it was. At the very least, knowing my genetic history might have tipped them off as to my... Prons-
2: Propensity. Yeah,
0: thank you. Yeah. For drug abuse and my easy addiction to alcohol. Closed adoptions are dangerous. Mine is only one such example. Second, we shouldn't let our culture raise our kids. Parents, whether adopted or birth, or even foster, need to watch their children more closely, spend more time with them, come to know know them. It is too easy to let the television, the peer group, or the school raise your kids, especially with teenagers who are trying to be independent and rebel. Communication is everything. It can't be all that hard to detect drug abuse if you really watch your kids closely and understand how prevalent drug use is in the teenage culture. prevalent What Pre- did I say?
2: Prelevant. Prevalent?
0: Prevalent. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I love
1: you and you're pretty.
0: Um, something. It is amazing how many kids I knew were using drugs whose parents didn't have a clue another issue is drugs both illegal and prescribed i don't know what can be done about the proliferation of drugs in today's society but it's obvious that when the gov that what the government is doing now isn't working but a lot can be done about the incompetent Psychiatric doctors and the proliferation of so-called therapists who do more harm than good. The psychiatrist saw or the psychiatrist I saw knew that I had abused speed. Nevertheless, he relied on an unlicensed trainee for an erroneous diagnosis and proceeded to prescribe a drug for me of the same type I had been abusing. There must be a tighter rein on the dispensing of mind-altering and mood-altering prescription drugs. As for psychopathic girlfriends and morally reprehensible sociopathic friends, not much can be done there. But the teenage culture that stresses early sexual experiences, that promotes violence, and encourages hatred and rivalry,
2: Rivalries?
0: Rivalries. (laughs) Makes the choice of such friends too likely, even for kids who have been raised to be good. I'm sorry, I'm struggling today. I know better than to take on the gaming industry of the state of Nevada, but neither Sharice nor I belonged in that casino at four in the morning. I've heard that some of the casinos have made changes in the hours that kids can be in the arcades but it's obvious that the gaming industry still wants family business and have attractions for kids at hotels and casinos. You can't blame parents for bringing their kids to places where they have clearly been invited but what are kids doing around gambling and drinking and nudity period? I had no trouble getting drunk at casino bars or playing casino slots in the prim and Charisse was not the only little kid running around that arcade night and morning. Finally I want to address the internet and child porn issues that were raised in my case. I have been labeled a pedophile because I had so-called kitty porn pictures and video clips in my computer. Here's how they got there. Seven days before May 25th, I was emailed a zip file. I did not know what was in it until I used the program to unzip or open it. It contained a lot of erotic pictures, only a few of which were children and none of which were extreme or real sexual acts. I didn't seek this I didn't seek out this material or ask if it could be emailed to me. I never had and do not have any sexual interest in children. I saw this stuff as a curiosity. Teenagers are curious about weird and taboo things. I had been sent adult porn before that, and many of my friends collected porno and erotic pictures and magazines and movies. None of us thought it was a big deal. At the time I got stuff, I was using speed daily, and I was up all night most nights. I spent these nights organizing stuff on my computer, creating file after file of the same material. The computer Computer expert we hired confirm that most of my data from my computer including the emails i was sent of porno was moved around over and over into files with different names one of the effects of speed is to make you want to arrange and organize things I did not and do not believe that moving around this child porn material changed my sexual orientation much had been made of a alleged chat room or much has also been made of an alleged chat room dialogue everyone lies to everyone else on the internet why such unreliable junk would be allowed to be used against someone on a trial for his life, I will never understand, but so be it. People really believe that seeing child porn makes you a pedophile or seeing violence makes you a killer, then we should have laws punishing AOL for allowing this stuff to be sent over their service. I guess we should also have laws punishing movie producers for every drop of bloodshed in their films. I think it's a bad idea to let your kids stay glued to their computers and have their social life take place online. It is too unreal and isolating. I did it in the depths of my isolation. That isolation and lack of real relationships and communication with your family is the real destroyer, not dirty pictures.
2: A look at my future. The bitterness of my punishment is great, but it is a fitting retribution for the evil I have wrought. I stand on the brink of the vast obscurity. I am about to disappear from public view that I never sought and never enjoyed, but I owe it to my family and to Charisse's, or to Charisse to try to something meaningful with this opportunity for reflection and study about er, study that lies ahead. Many people believe that life in prison without the possibility of parole is an utterly hopeless and futile existence. This is not the case. Spending the rest of one's life in prison is far greater than being executed. If a person convicted of a crime is put to death, that person will not have the chance to maybe one day make it up to society for his wrong. I do not plan on withering away inside a prison cell. I always wanted to make a contribution to the world, and to the extent I am allowed to do so, that is still my plan. There is more to be understood about what happened here than I yet know. I can't let Charisse's death be in vain. I can't let the love and support my parents have given me and grief and fear that they had to go through on my behalf be in vain. I know that whatever I have or whatever I learn and however I strive to do something meaningful with my life, it can never make up for another human being's death. But through my efforts, lives can be saved Then I have at least made er, made a beginning. I owe my parents and my sister far more than I could ever give for all the support they have given me throughout all of this. Both financially and emotionally. If not for them, I would have given up my life to be disposed of by the state. So to my mother, my father, and my sister, I must profess my deepest thanks. Thank you. I will do everything I can to work hard and make you proud. One day, I will be something and someone that you'll be proud of i love you
0: and that's it
2: (laughs) yeah after jeremy was found guilty he was first sentenced to eli state prison in nevada or ely excuse me not eli (laughs) ely ely state prison in nevada where he was put in administrative segregation with his own cell then he went to lovelock correctional center into a quote medium level of custody. If Lovelock Correctional sounds familiar in any way, that could be because it housed O.J. Orenthal James Simpson.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, shit. Oh, shit. By October
0: 1999,
2: one year after his plea deal, John and Winnie tried to sue Los Angeles County and the adoption workers for one million (laughs) dollars, stating they would have never adopted a tainted baby.
0: No. Clutch your pearls, bitch.
2: Despite trying to sue, they still claim they support their son. Fuck both of you.
0: (laughs) Jeremy would later try to appeal in 2000 with a new attorney, Camille Abbott. Hey, Abbott. And she would state that, uh, Abramson? Why can I not? Abramson? Thank you. I I cannot talk today. (laughs) Had misunderstandings with Nevada law. Not only that, but that his parents couldn't pay the additional fees if it were to go to trial, so their attorney had bullied him into a plea deal. His appeal was rejected by Nevada Supreme Court in 2001. Furthermore, in 2006, he lost a federal court bid to review his case. With the death of Sharice, it would become a nationwide conversation discussing the changes that need to happen in our casinos. The first step taken would be to put in more security in all areas at all times. Daycares were put into some arcade areas as well. Another big conversation surrounded the changes that needed to happen on a legal level in order to charge people like David for being a quote bad Samaritan. Some of the bills that passed in Sharice's memory was one in Nevada Introduced by the state assembly majority leader Richard Perkins, bill was known as Number 267, stating one must report a child being sexually abused or treated violently. Failure to do so will result in a fine and possible jail time. It was packed passed quickly by 2000. In California, they passed a bill numbered 1422 called the Sharice Iverson Child Victim Protection Act, added to their per- their penal code that someone must report any. act. Act if a victim is under the age of 14. Jeremy Strohmeyer actually got married in 2009 to a woman named Desiree. She would say when asked about her and Jeremy, quote, We love, plain and simple. I am a normal woman. I like wine. I have a cat and I drive a Toyota. I work, and I'm a functioning part of society.
1: Okay.
0: That just seems weird.
1: Um. Mm-hmm.
0: <coughs> Jeremy also want, wants the Iverson family to know that he's sorry. I want to ask for their forgiveness, and I want them to know that I would give anything to trade places with Sharice. want them to know that I'm sorry, more sorry than words can ever say. I wish nothing but peace and good lives for them, wherein their lives are not defined by this horrible tragedy as mine has been. Fuck mm. you. Fuck you. Yeah, I Uh, Sharice's mom, Yolanda, pretty much never recovered naturally. I don't know how anybody could. Right. And her and Leroy never spoke again after her funeral was May 31st of 97. And later in 2000, Leroy actually died. Little is known about uh, Sharice's older brother, Harold. The very last parts that we have is that recently, As of May 31st of 2018, Mm -hmm. uh, he is, Jeremy is trying to get a chance at parole. So, we'll see how it goes.
2: But I thought he was convicted to four life terms with no possibility of parole.
0: Yep. Well, you know, then laws change and they did that whole thing where you can look back on first-time crimes, age of the whatever, and he was, it says in the article, it's it goes off of he was 18 years and seven months and the cutoff for it was like 17 years and there's kids that were 15 and 16 that murdered people and they got away with it so they're going to try to go with that for him mm, yeah right
2: boo bitch
1: mm-hmm.
2: so here's my thoughts on jeremy's closing statements in court Mm-hmm. if you don't write it and it doesn't come from your heart and it doesn't come from your hand it's a pile of shit yeah as far as i'm concerned And not one part of that did he write. No way, no how, uh, not buying it. That is 100% prepped, Mm -hmm. set up, handwritten, picked. Chose whatever you want to fucking say about it by his lawyers.
0: And there's a lot of finger pointing.
2: It wasn't me. It was this. If I would have known about that, if this, if that, if but shut
0: up. If you would have known that your mom happened to be a schizophrenic, that would have kept your fingers out of a seven year old. No, shut up. Take your fucking guilty plea. Admit that you're a piece of shit. Go kill yourself in your cell. I don't care. Mm-hmm. I don't care that you had a girlfriend who hurt your feelings. I don't care that that you had a shitty friend and you know what there could always be a possibility that maybe maybe david did kill her let's go down that rabbit hole with you i still don't care Mm-mm. you're still a piece of shit
2: you know what the whole maybe david did killer thing
0: doesn't add up anyways
2: it can't add up because the videotapes don't lie
0: right yeah and there's not just you having conversations on the internet with somebody which is hard to prove that it was technically you that were was doing it you still had possession of videos Uh and you want to try to say that there were some pictures but none of it was really bad pretty sure slamming at six isn't going to be a good video
2: probably not
0: I'm just saying uh-huh I'm also saying that while i get under wanting to know about your past and i agree with some other things um maybe your parents would have been able to notice some things maybe you would have been able to notice some things I'm pretty sure you knew that there was something already going on and you just chose not to help it out sure and and
2: I get it i understand I'm also a person that believes your past doesn't define Define you Mm-mm. where you come from doesn't define you Mm-mm. unless you allow it yep now i'm not saying that in every single case
0: oh no 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 of no. course not
2: so before before <laughs> it, it comes down. back yeah yeah before it comes back with with torches and pitchforks just hear me out for a half a second why i just said what i said is as easy as this i will use me as an example okay i come from a good upbringing from a good family i do
1: Mm -hmm, very much
0: so
2: always been loved always been supported always been backed always been for a lack of a better phrase coddled
0: yeah i I mean yeah no
2: really really Um, a lot of it is due to, I was born different and I had a major, major surgery when I was a couple of weeks old. So I had to be safeguarded and protected and, and blah, 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 blah. Right? Mm -hmm. Well, could that have defined who I was being that I was so closely guarded and watched over and taken care of as a little kid to now be a grown man that (laughs) has done a lot of really careless and reckless Stupid fucking things
1: mhm <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> And and that's what I'm meaning by this, is if I would have stuck to to the beginnings, yes. I would not be as outgoing as I am, as forward as I am, as boisterous as I am. Mm-hmm. I would probably be a shy, little, timid person that has long hair that you can't see my scars and blah, 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 and, and I would just be afraid of who I am.
1: Mm-hmm. That's not me.
2: Nope. That is not me at all. I'm... Yeah, I'm loud. I'm outgoing. No, I'm, I'm a,
0: nobody can tell.
2: Uh, I know, I know.
0: And that's what makes you great. So it's fine. I'm
2: a bit of an ass. <laughs> that's why I love you. But with that said, I'm also a teddy bear mm-hmm. until you piss me off, mm-hmm. and then Teddy goes away, mm-hmm. and I'm just a bear. But yes, you are. You know, I. I get I get that there are some things that are passed on through genetics. Oh, yeah. I, I get that there are possibilities. I, I totally get that.
0: And that there are things that are important to know. Right. I mean, oh. he brought up some good points, not necessarily with that, but just in general, he brought up some things that I was like, oh, you didn't bring it up, but whoever wrote this, I agree with.
2: Okay. Oh, no, sure, sure. And, and I understand that. And maybe maybe Nevada was wrong for doing a closed adoption and not you mean california or, yeah, excuse me excuse me it's late it's fine yeah maybe california did do something kind of dirty by not just being like look hey check this out this is what it is mm-hmm. this is this is the potential hornet's nest you're walking into mm-hmm. okay i get that now on the flip side of that coin how dare his fucking adoptive parents come back and be like well i'm never
0: right never ever but i still love him
2: but never ever would i oh but i still Mean,
0: why would you try to sue them? They it's not their fault that you you grew up your son to be a killer. And, and it's it, not the parents' fault either. I'm no, not I'm not saying that. But right,
2: right. But you can't it's called free fingers. agency. Yeah. It's called free agency. And I'll promise you this. I don't mean to be an ass by saying this, but I'm gonna say it. You get a young teenage kid and move them overseas to a place that they don't speak the native language, mm-hmm. that kid is going to find any attention he can get good bad or indifferent mm-hmm. i'm not passing the buck on to well he got the wrong crowd over there in singapore no but maybe he did
0: i can probably guarantee he was exposed to a completely different style of life that he was not used to
2: oh guaranteed died in the wall guaranteed mm-hmm. but that's still <laughs> I don't know. I, yeah, this is a hard one for me because I don't. I know. I don't like the fact that there are. Well, my friend did this. My friend is this way. Mm-hmm. If I would have known, this would have never happened. No, if you weren't a fucking scuzzball, this wouldn't have never ha- or would have never happened. Exactly. Okay, so you were illegally getting fed alcohol, but prior to that, you were already using extremely illegal drugs. Mm-hmm. You were prescribed legal methamphetamine. Mm-hmm. On the words of basically Toucan Sam, because let's face it, <laughs> seriously, it mm-hmm. was an incompetent buffoon that said, "Oh, you've got you've got ADD. Go talk to this person." And that person was like, "Oh, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yeah, I see it. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep." Yeah. So and so said, "You got it. You got it." Mm-hmm. Um. <sighs>
0: Yep. I do agree with the stuff about, you know, the not letting TV and all that raise your kids. I think that that is important to balance out. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, he, whatever, he said some good points or whoever wrote it said some good points, but still at the end of the day, you murdered a little girl and then you didn't say anything. If you really would have felt bad or didn't understand how you could have done it, you would have admitted to it that day. Right. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. At the end of the day, I just, I don't care. Care about anything that he had to say. I don't, I'm with the detective that still hates Jeremy and nothing that he can say or do will fix it. Right. In the same way, even though, you know, there's that whole thing of you can't expect anybody to succeed if you're gonna set them up to fail but in cases of this they can fail over and over again because mm-hmm.
1: fuck them mm-hmm.
0: but that is pretty much the end of our story we do want to leave it on a nice note so right. is there anything you want to say before we do that
2: i hope jeremy drops a soap me too and, and i, I hope... hope it's powdered soap so it takes longer to get up off the floor
0: <laughs> exactly exactly fuck face all right
2: anyways anywho in closing leaving on a positive note Charisse was an incredibly smart little girl in second grade <coughs> she wanted to be a nurse a police officer or a dancer her favorite colors were pink yellow and purple her hair was always neatly braided and her clothes freshly ironed being your average seven-year-old she was also afraid of the dark and struggled a little bit with reading mm-hmm. <laughs> Welcome to in 7
0: Right? <laughs> That's, I don't know what all the, okay, anyways, yeah. Right.
2: Her favorite Disney movie was The Little Mermaid, and she loved to jump rope. The saddest part is that her greatest qualities would also lead to her death. Charisse, above all, was affectionate and trusting. What she thought was, in, er, was innocent and just playing and having fun ended up costing her her life. Mm-hmm. So with that, if you got kids, go give them a hug.
0: Yep. Looks like I'm going to watch The Little Mermaid again tomorrow.
2: <laughs> right <laughs> well and and that's the deal is the should have could have would have's
1: mm-hmm.
2: where would little sharice be now
1: mm-hmm.
2: what would she be doing now how would her life be now right sadly it's all should have could have would have's yeah all because someone should have could have and if they would have beat the dog shit out of jeremy probably wouldn't have happened to sharice
0: mm-hmm. yep but that is the case so that started it all
1: <laughs> y- yep
0: after that i needed to know so much more about everything and mm-hmm. i rem- i remember after this, I don't. I didn't know all the super super details until much later. Right. But I remember that that happened because John Benet Ramsey was the same age when she was killed that I was, mm-hmm. and then Sharice was the same age. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna sound like such an asshole. And when it came down to the cases, I care. I care more about this case, and I can't explain why. I just do uh john benet ramsey is a case that i've always found interesting i've just never really like eh, like i care but i i don't as much right and another big uh can Conversation or whatever that came with this is that they were convinced that maybe this case didn't get the same light that it had because Charisse was black. She was a black victim, not a white victim. There is that that could play a role in it. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but well, either way,
2: <laughs> it could also be that she doesn't come from an extremely well to do family. It yeah. It could be. Exactly. It could be. It could be. It could be. It could be. A
0: lot of a lot of could-be's come into play more than just her race. Mm -hmm. So, yep.
2: Mm -hmm. So, do me a favor if you would, everybody out there in Fat Planistan. When you listen to this, take a little moment put a little tiny a little teeny tiny memory of Charisse in your heart and carry her around with you for a little bit. Yep. Pay respect for this little girl because she got taken by a monster because she was playing a game.
0: And she was in a place where she shouldn't have ever had to be in the first place Mm -hmm. so anyways that ends this week's episode
2: you gotta guess who for next week no no no
0: no, because guess guess what's going on next week is we're going to talk about all of our adolescence and growing and our changes and other people to talk about and things and
2: not up here and not down there this is my no no square
0: <laughs> not talking about no no squares
2: oh okay i
0: <laughs> mean we can but Fuck, i'm so no.
2: confused right now i don't know what to say or do
0: we're gonna talk a little bit more about some well you don't...
2: i know i'm yeah. you just it will be good hey calm them
0: they're out of control all they
2: right. are but calm them
0: all right we'll see you all next week
2: <laughs> thanks everybody bye see ya